Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. We're actually going to try something different. I want to introduce to you what we think is going to be a consistent, regular part of our podcast, uh, Dr. Tracy, our Hollywood legal analyst. Now, I say Hollywood because she looks Hollywood, but also she's on Court TV. She's on CBS. I can't even begin to list. Go check out her website of all the different court appearances that she has made. Uh, I think I've been on TV maybe twice. I don't know, but she can't even count. Hey, Dr. Tracy, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah. I, I was on Court TV. I am now on Law and Crime. Uh, so okay. I want to put that out there to people that if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I am all over the place. I've been on Cheddar News. I've been on Fox 5 DC. I am on News Nation. I am everywhere. You can't miss me. And you're on the Comedian of Law podcast. Now, that needs to be front and center on your website. But they, hey, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I think we're going to have a lot of fun as we go through these various cases. And I can access our, our resident Hollywood legal analyst to give a different perspective to these various court cases. And that's what you've been doing this last year. Now, before we go into it, you are the executive producer and host of A Deep Dive with Dr. Tracy. It's a live show. Is that correct? It is. It is a live show. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it, it was it started as a weekly show. I uh, dropped off a bit because of the Ukraine war, me feeling that it was uh, the regular news folks were covering that just perfectly fine, that I didn't need to do that. And we've come back and done a few episodes uh, when we felt that it was ne necessary. And so now we're sort of we are re uh, upping that uh, and, and working on it uh, over time. All right. Well, uh, hey, and, and also check out our show notes. We'll have all the different ways you can w catch and go check out a Dr. Tracy. Or you also can listen to her right here. We're going to have you on on a regular basis for the foreseeable future just to see how this goes, to see if this actually works. Uh, because I, I am a conservative, and, and I, I make no uh, apologies for that. I like to think of myself as an open-minded conservative, which you might think that's oxymoronic. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking, Joel, that you had to clarify it because most conservatives are not open-minded. I don't know your perspective on that. But I do like to have conversations with people who maybe don't think exactly the way that I do. Well, nonetheless... I do. I, I've checked out your website, and you've been on, on my podcast before, so I love what you have to say. I love your, how you think and explain things. Uh, there's a lot I can learn. So I'm just curious. As we begin this journey, you have covered a lot of these cases over the last year for different TV networks and stations. What do you think are the, the three to four to five most impactful legal stories from this last year? Because i got to tell you, there's a lot of them, but let, let's do it in reverse order. So go ahead and give me a case you think has had tremendous impact. Don't give me your number one. I, I want to wait for that. But g g what case do you think had a great impact on our legal culture? Uh, one of the cases that I, I think that had the, the most impact, uh, and I think there are four right now. I think really there are four on, on my list. Um, but in reverse order would be uh, Britney Spears' uh, conservatorship case, believe it okay. or not. I'm fascinated by that case. When I when I first heard about that case, I got to tell you, I was shocked. I mean, I thought th there is no way what they are saying is true. Now we've seen Britney post the whole uh, free Britney Spears uh, episode, but why do you think this case is so important? Well, this case is really, really important because of two reasons. One reason is that it shows the power of the public in bringing a matter to uh, the attention of the courts, the impact the public can have on the judicial system. Uh, you know, originally when Britney Spears was placed under conservatorship, it was sort of a laughed about situation. And then over time, uh, with a hashtag free Britney that was posted by one individual on Twitter, took off. And it became something that, that, you know, it gained speed, it gained momentum, it gained uh, a, a massive following. And ultimately, as that case uh, got the attention of the courts, as... Um, uh, as Britney Spears felt the, I think the uh, support behind her and her willingness to talk about uh, her concerns, in other words, the courage that she got to, to, to push back against her father, who was her conservator, 
um, that uh, ultimately what I recall was that the number of people standing outside that L.A. court uh, listening and uh, broadcasting and uh, YouTubing and you name it from outside the court in support of Britney Spears. Now, you mentioned the impact that the normal person had on the legal proceeding. That's fascinating. You went to that angle. Before we get to that angle, what do you think about the merits of the case? Because when I heard about the merits of the case, that, that Britney Spears was saying she didn't even have control over the fact she wanted to have a child. I just can't believe that some conservator could tell another person who is a multi-multi-millionaire performer. I mean, she operates at a level far higher than I can ever operate. How can someone tell her she cannot have a baby? I, I just don't, is that actually the way the law works in conservatorships? And this is just bringing to light something that is, is standard practice? Or was this out of the normal? No, this is normal, and that's the second reason that, that why I think this case is so impactful. Um, I practiced guardianship law for a very long time, and uh, guardianship and conservatorship are interchangeable in some states. Um, in California, it's called a conservatorship uh, unless you're okay. under 18. So um, here, what, what a conservatorship does is it, it, it allows a, another individual to make decisions for you in a number of areas of your life. It prevents right. you from forming a contract. It make, prevents you from making your own medical decisions, prevents you from leaving a, a medical facility. Um, and so in, in this situation, she couldn't make her own medical decisions. Those were made for her. And but why, why, how to get to that point that she right. cannot make her own medical? I mean, I get contracts well, uh, she yeah, like, yeah, i want someone yeah. else to handle that that's not a con it's not a contract issue it's not what it is is that somebody uh, they decided they filled out a, an application uh, her father and and uh uh and and a lawyer filled out in essence an application or a petition to the court asking for a conservatorship saying that she was incapable of of taking care of her her own uh uh health and and her own uh financial issues um, and what's interesting about it is that if you if you you read the information about it, what was alleged in the original petition was that she was suffering symptoms of dementia, um, and it's it was it was done on what's called an ex parte, so it was done without the other person being present. Um, the uh, judge never looked at the individual when I was practicing guardianship law. And I had a case like this where I had to go get my client. In fact, I had to go ask for an arrest warrant in another court to go get my client, to get my client okay. present. It's a fascinating situation. I remember being looked at askance by the defense lawyers in the room who knew me as a defense lawyer. I'm like, no, I got to go get my client. Um, but here, um, it, what, what happened was the judge in chambers never looked at the, the ward. A potential ward, okay, so the potential of the conservative, Brittany. right, Brittany, and uh, made a decision on the papers based on what uh, her father told her and, and uh, based on what the petition said, and, and that was that. Um, and then, again, because of, of her circumstances, I think because of uh, her, um, uh, because of the, the, power and pressure that she was feeling pushing against her. Um, she went along with things. Um, at first, it seemed like it was okay. Remember, her father had a lot of uh, controlling authority over her. She had a feeling right, of right. sort of wanting to, to please him, a feeling that she couldn't make him angry. That was sort of the nature of their relationship. And, um, and so she went along with it. And then, uh, you know, during the course, as I understand it, during the course of, of, of about 12 years, um, they put her on medications that, that you know, made her feel uh, not like herself, uh, that limited her, her, I guess, her ability to push back in some ways. Um, and uh, ultimately, um, from my perspective, my opinion was that they turned her basically into a workhorse um, and put her on stage. She performed fine. She was making money. She was paying right. for this entire operation. And I think what makes this case so significant from a merit standpoint is that a judge in LA, a judge in California, uh, issued a, a guardianship or a conservatorship order over somebody who was capable of touring the world and performing. Okay, so Dr. Tracy, the question I have here, uh, several different questions that just pop up. But is this a problem with how the conservatorship was started in the first place? Or was this a, a problem with 
as the conservatorship was going on, it might have been started for good reasons and with agreement from all sides, but no one was looking after her interests as it was going on. She wanted out, and no one was really listening to her because, let's face it, the Guardians were making a ton of money off of her, so why would they want to stop that gravy train? Was it a problem from the beginning, or was it a problem as it was going on and she wanted out because she was past that stage in life where she wanted help with her decisions, but they wouldn't listen to her? It was both. What happened at the very beginning was that uh, what ends up kicking this off uh, is that um, it turned, it's a situation of a, um, a custody battle between her uh, and the father of, of, of her kids. And okay. uh, she doesn't want to return the kids to him on that particular day. And, uh, you know, she's getting very limited time with them. And uh, she didn't want to return a child. She was holding the child. She was in the bathroom. And her, her, um, uh, her, her ex uh, calls in, in essence, the police. And it turns into a 5150 situation, which is sort of a psychiatric hold, where they come okay. and they get her, throw her on a a stretcher, uh, you know, drag her out in an ambulance to a hospital um, where she really is just a distressed mom who is is really upset with what's happening and doesn't right. want to let her kids go. Um, it, and based on, on what I've read and what I've heard. Um, and so the, the beginnings of this seems almost like, and again, I this is based on what I've read and what I've heard, um, is sort of almost a collusion issue between her ex and her dad. And, uh, you know, we, we need to get this guardianship. And, and behind the scenes, there's a motivation of money. Um, as the guardianship... Huge came, motivation. Huge motivation of money. And it, as, as, the guardi- or as the conservatorship continues... Um, you know, we've got a judge who isn't who isn't paying attention, in my view, isn't looking at the individual, isn't assessing things, is assuming everybody has good intentions. Um, and then what happens is after the guardianship or the conservatorship, I keep using that word guardianship, guys, after the conservatorship is granted, um, she uh, it loses the ability to hire her own attorney because she loses the right to contract. And so she can't get her own lawyer to represent her interests. And remember, this this lawyer... Now, I've had this happen, and so I understand the perspective of this. I had a colleague once tell me that the person that they took their instructions from was, uh, the at the time, the guardian. And uh, after it was granted, and I remember getting into a little verbal tussle with that person saying, no, you continue to still represent that ward regardless. Um, and so in this situation, what happened was that lawyer stopped talking or listening to or doing what Britney Spears wanted. She was the client. She should have been directing representation. The court-appointed right lawyer. There. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm very concerned about that. It actually makes me feel a little bit claustrophobic here. I'm just, I feel trapped, and it's not even me that it's happening to. But is there recourse? Because I, I could see the motivation by the guardians. Like, hey, we're making a amount of bucks or millions of dollars off of this client. This is a gravy train. We don't want to upset this gravy train. And so can is there legal recourse after the fact? Or are they just kind of stuck with these decisions? Oh, no, she's got legal recourse. She okay. she probably has a, a attorney discipline complaint against the attorney. She has a, a malpractice claim she can make against the attorney. Um, she, she certainly has claims against her father, and those are being brought. Um, and uh, I absolutely think she should pursue every single one of them to the very end. Um, they should be, frankly, the California bar should be looking into that lawyer right now without her asking. I just can't even imagine, because uh, we saw Britney Spears perform. I think she even had a show in Vegas. And so how is it that that person performing on that stage can't make her own decisions. That, that just, I don't even understand why the legal system allowed that to go on. And has there been any movement um, to, to hold them accountable that, that you're aware of? Because I'm used to constitutional law. That's my specialty. And in constitutional law, there's this idea of immunity and qualified immunity. So I'm thinking, do these guardians have some kind of qualified immunity where they had to have really violated her rights? So it's going to be hard to win that case? No, no, they have to account for their actions and their behavior. Uh, you know, they have to account for, for what they may have told the judge. 
you know, with the judge relied on. The judge would certainly have, have, have a level of immunity um, for making those decisions, but uh, the guardian uh, does not. The guardian is a fiduciary and had a duty to, uh, to look out for the best or to look out for the interests of, of the conservatorship. Um, and to the conservatee um, against their own, to their own detriment. So uh, he's going to have to account for everything that he did. So are all the other uh, conservators that were involved along the way. There were okay. financial conservators. There were people that, that got switched in and out along the way because um, of, of the noise that, that uh, Britney Spears was making. And so absolutely, uh, they're going to have to account for every single thing that they did. Good. All right. Uh, huge case. I know it definitely gripped us as we were watching it uh, unfold. Could not believe the facts and some of the details that were coming out. I like the reason why you put this in your list. It was because of the public's insistence. You do wonder there's got to be hundreds, if not thousands of cases where the, the, the ward, as you said, doesn't have multi-million dollars, does not have a Las Vegas show. So they don't have the same platform. And I, I'm just assuming they're stuck in that quandary. Maybe this case might give them a little life. I don't know. Have you seen any movement on that front? Outside of the, the Britney Spears, obviously, this gets a lot of attention. But the, the, the normal Joe and Nancy. The, I think what's probably happening up at the legislature is certainly in California, because this has been a risk. Um, there have been a number of, of celebrities that have been almost in this situation. Um, and, and that came out in, in the wake of, 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 of this circumstance or as this was breaking um, and, and potentially being overturned and then overturned. So I know that, that there is some, some efforts, I think, up, at, up in the legislature, up in Sacramento for them to um, try to put some guardrails in. But um, I think, I know that, that at least initially um, that uh, Britney Spears talked about being an advocate for making sure that this, this nonsense never happened to anyone else that didn't have any money. All right. We are in total agreement on that. Moving on. What is your next case that you think had a great impact on the legal scene this last year? Depp v. Heard. Uh, I like this case, but I'm doing a, a, a CLE focusing just on this case because this one has all kinds of juicy details. But why did you put this as number three on your list? First, well, uh, first of all, I love this case i covered this case on long crime for six weeks i lived this sucker um okay. and and the aftermath i continue to live um but uh and i watched it uh, live for for six weeks straight so i i find that this case for me um represents a voice that has been not heard in the field of domestic violence and that is that men can be abused too that that abuse is not is not um, uh, is not decided by gender. That, that men and, and people who are non-binary and transgender can be abused. It's not just women, and women do it. And they, they, they need to be held responsible for it, and we need to change our, uh, the way we think about these things. And it was because of his money and his willingness and his bravery to come forward and do that that, that we've now started to talk about this differently. Now, in what way was, was Johnny Depp abused? Well, he was abused uh, physically. Uh, he was abused emotionally, he was abused verbally um, by Amber Heard, based on what I heard and as part of the evidence that was placed, uh, brought into the case. Um, I heard audio recordings uh, where she abused him. I heard, uh, you know, I saw photographs that suggested that she abused him. She also abused him using the legal process. And that's something that happens all the time. Um, you know, allegations, false allegations are made. Uh, against a, an individual and because of implicit bias and the way that our system thinks about these things, um, they immediately go and protect the female. Um, when in fact she was just uh, angling and looking at, at the timing of things, she was angling for the best divorce settlement she could get. Um, yes. in, just prior to the, the, uh, the protection order being sought by Amber Heard out here in California, her lawyer had made a request for umpteen um, uh, different things and, and a lot of financial support and gave them a deadline. And that deadline just happens to coincide with the date that the uh, restraining order was sought. 
So it's really, uh, really, um, uh, to me, telling as somebody who also practiced in that area of, of what was happening, uh, you know, what the motivations were. Um, the other thing is looking at the photographs. Uh, there were a lot of photographs. There's a lot of photographic evidence um, showing, you know, that, that really what we were looking at were not bruises. These were drummed up, uh, you know, um, modified photographs. Um, and 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 we were seeing video that corresponded with that. Um, and so there was, there was just a million zillion issues in this case that I find fascinating. Now, I call this case a $300 million verdict. It doesn't matter if Depp ever recovers a dime from Amber Heard. But because he won a defamation case where the allegation was he abused her and he won as a defamation case with public figures, he now can be employed by Hollywood again. I think we all can agree that Hollywood is not going to employ a spouse abuser. So that, those kind of allegations, obviously, they're serious. And just the allegation itself pretty much means you are unemployable by the NFL now, by sports franchises, and by, by Hollywood. So him winning this case was absolutely huge for his future employment prospects. Um, but, yeah, interesting case. All right, what is number two? Number two is Kennedy v. Bremerton. Um, Interesting. And, right, and now, you're, here, now you're in my neck of the woods here. We're I, talking I constitutional know, law. I know. And my reason for this case is is that that a Supreme Court justice misrepresented the evidence in uh, a, an opinion, and there's no recourse for that 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 school district at this point because we've hit the highest level, and there is no way to do anything about it. So I have been told by uh, Supreme Court litigators that you don't use the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uses you. So I, I kind of get what you're, you're saying there. In fact, when I read the briefs in this case, my first thought was, are, are, are these both sides like talking about the same case? Because they are uh, these are like two shifts passing in the night. They're not even on the same tracks. I know I just butchered my metaphor, but what I mean. What are the facts of this case? But nevertheless, maybe the facts don't matter to the Supreme Court. They're, again, you don't use the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uses you. But what are you, what are you referring to? What I'm referring to is that, that Justice Gorsuch, uh, speaking on behalf of the court, said that, um, that the, uh, um, or rather, let me change that. Um, I believe, I, I think, I thought it was Justice Gorsuch, but it, 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 that, that the court, the Supreme Court itself, said that um, that this was a you know a a, a coach uh, you know kneeling at the end of a field by himself you know before a game and what you see is a photograph of of a a, a, a coach surrounded by you know this massive football team and these kids and 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 it, that to me is a is just a huge disparate understanding of what the facts are in this case and an absolute complete refusal to recognize that 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 a football coach has absolute power frankly absolute power over those players man the coach kneels you kneel okay unless you're you're an antagonistic player who is not a team player and you're not on that team very long so it, it just was a, a a bastardization of what transpired and, and it was used for an agenda. And, and you know, I think that we expect better of, of, of our justices. If I lied to a judge, I'd be in trouble. If a district court judge got the facts wrong, it would be changed. But at the Supreme Court level, the facts do matter. They're looking at the entire record and what the facts are matter. And they apply to the law. And that is the problem. Are you suggesting that justices lie? Oh my goodness, I, uh, that's shocking to me. Actually, I had a case, I probably don't even wanna say which circuit, it was in one of the circuit courts and the majority ruled against me, it was a two to one decision and the majority said, uh, I should lose a case because of my facial challenge. And I'm going, I didn't bring a facial challenge. If you actually had read the brief, we had we were very clear. It was a strategic decision not to bring a facial challenge. I'm going, why did you say I brought a facial challenge? Luckily, the dissent pointed out, uh, guys, no. Look, 14 times in the complaint and in the motion for summary judgment, he says, as applied, as applied, as applied. Why did you say he brought a facial challenge? You know he did not bring a facial challenge. Yeah, sometimes it's very discouraging 
when the judiciary lies to you. What do you do about that? Now, in this case, though, I'm probably not willing to go that far, but I do hear what you are saying. Let me just um, give the other side here, if I can. Sometimes in these cases, when a bad decision, unconstitutional decision is made by one of the parties, controversy ensues from it. Right. I mean, it, it just happens. So let's say you start off with a benign situation because someone said, no, you can't do this. And then that person says, well, then I'm going to go to the media. OK, now it's, it's, it's big news. And now you're going to have controversy and you're going to have politicians running out. You're going to have everyone coming. It's going to be a big community event. Can you use the controversy that is is caused by the unconstitutional unconstitutional decision? as reasons why the person shouldn't be able to do it in the first place. Did it make sense there? Or did I yeah, I, I'm thinking well? through it. I, 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 can you do it? I suppose you can do anything. I think for me, I'm focused on, you know, this is a public school. These are a group of kids. There's a power differential. You know, you're free to go kneel anywhere you want, but if you're doing it right. in front of your entire team, there's a problem there, and it creates an image that the that the district supports this, and 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 it places the district in a situation of saying, hey, you know, we we aren't advocating for this and having to take action, and you know, initially you have those those progressive discipline conversations of like, hey, you know, we don't have a problem with you doing this, you want to go off and do it over there, but don't right. do it in front of the kids. And, right. and I think that when you finally end up in a situation where the person is just like, mm, you know, to hell with you, I'm going to do whatever I want, right, right. Um, then you have to take action and, and discipline. And that would be expected in, in any employment situation. And here, you know, you're free to have your beliefs. You're free to do whatever you personally want. But when it starts impacting uh, the organization because of the impact that you have on, on those kids, then... And, and creates the potential for liability for the employer, I think the employer's within the reason they're bound to be able to do something about it, especially when their employer is the government. Right. Like, I, I had a case, I was up in New York where I represented this um, this town, and, and they had a, a prayer practice. So the at beginning of town board meetings, they opened it up with an invocation, and it, this went on for 10 years, and no one cared one bit. Well, finally, someone came, and they, 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 they had a problem with it. So they went to the press, and, and they made it a big old press you know, coverage of, I can't believe they, they had this, this prayer going on. Because they went to the press, now all of a sudden, everyone came out of the woodworks, and it caused this huge commotion. And so then the lower court said, well, look, look at all this commotion and how divisive your prayer policy is. Like, no, it wasn't divisive. It went on for 10 years and no one even cared. No one even, they slept through that part of the meeting. It was just because you stirred the pot and created the controversy, you then can't use that controversy as reasons for why the original action was bad. But in, in this case, I did get the same sense that you got, which is what are the facts here? Because it sure seems like this is pretty antagonistic. Was it just simply a, a coach wanting to do the Tim Tebow there out in, in a, by himself? Or is this part of a classroom assignment? You know, which one is it? And it's not clear. It's not, it's not clear. And, and, and if it's not clear in, 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 you know, you've got impressionable kids, then, then that's, that's a problem. But to, I want to interrupt. I want to go back to your point, which is that, you know, you can't, you can't use the controversy to, 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 to justify the unconstitutional or the decision. Well, the original conduct, um, uh, you know, isn't necessarily right just because it's existed for a long time. It could be wrong. And somebody went, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, I'm more knowledgeable now. This is a problem. That, and that is true. Uh, and, and the courts have noted that the Establishment Clause area is very, uh, it, it has kind of changed throughout over the last uh, 100 years. It's kind of interesting to see how it's ebbed and flowed. I did read an interesting article just this last week about this. And it was talking about the Bremerton case and saying, look, this case represents the proper understanding of the Establishment Clause, and this was this, this author's reasoning. He said, look, in America, you, you have the Establishment Clause because it prohibits government forcing you to do religion. At the same time, you're not free from religion. So just because people do religious things, we can't use that as say, well, no, now that's coercive and you got to stop it. Well, well, no, unless it actually is coercive and you're forcing someone to engage, you got to respect it. Now, 
and then this author went on to say, see, when I ran for vice president, they go, well, who wrote this? Who ran for vice president? Do you know who wrote that article? Joseph mm. Lieberman, the Democrat, wrote that article talking about how this case represented the proper distinction uh, when it comes to church and, and state issues. It, it is a fascinating case. I, I will, though, give you an argument on your side. I do agree a lot with what you're saying here because I had the same issues. And that is this. In this particular case, this was part of an actual class assignment. For several years, he actually did this as part of his job duties. And then he stopped and started doing it privately. So, But they, they kind of ignored that part. They Actually, this was part of a classroom assignment for so many years. And you just can't, can you really stop on a dime? Well, strategically, how this case was litigated, no one argued that they felt coerced into joining in the prayer practice. That was a huge mess up by the other side, by the, the, the plaintiffs in this case, or not the plaintiffs, the, the school district. Because, because they didn't argue coercion or have any evidence of coercion, why not just find someone that says, oh yeah, I felt compelled. I mean, I know they do this all the time. They find some plaintiffs say, I felt compelled. There was no evidence in the record for that. And so the next time around, if there is evidence of, of some students saying, I felt compelled to participate, would it come out? Would it come to a different conclusion? I don't know. It might come to a different conclusion. I think my my uh, is it is it reasonable to believe that 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 there's at least one student in that group that may have felt compelled to do it and not been uh, a, like sort of aware of feeling that compulsion. Like, you know, they're not sitting there. High school kids, a lot of them are not sitting there going, gee, I don't really want to do this, da, 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 you know, because I feel compelled. That's that's a very nuanced thinking of, of an adult because your brain doesn't actually mature until it's in its mid-20s, so um, for the most part. And so I think that, that, you know, for a high school kid to have the wherewithal to say, well, gee, I just don't, you know, really want to do this, but I feel like I have to right, be right. on the team. I don't think that's happening. And I think that's an unreasonable expectation to sort of produce that evidence. I think that as a society, our judges ought to be smarter to be able to think that way. They ought to be more educated about how, 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 how kids are, 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 are subjected to social desirability. This is what this case actually really deals with is a concept called social desirability. I'm going to go along. I'm going to do what everybody's doing in order to be liked. Right. Uh, one wonders because what you just said there is kind of the underlying principle behind the graduation prayer cases. And so, you know, in the, with graduation prayer, is, is that precedent now? Might this court react differently if a graduation prayer case came before it? I don't know. Uh, obviously there you have more of a captive audience situation. This one, they were very clear with their facts. And like you said, maybe they're, they took a little bit too much liberty in being clear with the facts. Maybe they found one isolated time, but still the court was very emphatic that no, this is all, this is just about one coach privately doing the Tim Tebow and you're saying, but, but you're closing your eyes to all the other things that happen both before and after whatever, at least the, as far as the precedent is concerned. Nope. This is about one coach doing the Tim Tebow. How might this impact graduation prayer? Well, I, I uh, we'll find out when somebody goes in and brings an, uh, uh, an imam to, to graduation prepare, prayer in the middle of Indiana and see if, I, I, if that goes. It goes in their, you, in their favor. In my case, that I had to end up at the U.S. Supreme Court, they other side thought that. They thought, you know what? We got these guys. This, this town here is religious. It's Christian. They only allow for Christian prayers. What they didn't realize was the lady who actually scheduled the prayer givers never attended a board meeting. Even an atheist said, can I give the prayer? And she said, yep, I got to go home and make pasta. You, you're on the schedule. Atheist, you can give the prayer. And so she... It, there, there was no in, it, thought there of promoting Christianity, um, though there, but yeah, I, I do recognize that not all facts play out that way. Um, but yeah, even an uh, imam that would go out there, an atheist, you know, whoever wants to give that vac the invocation, that prayer, in our country, they're allowed to do that. They have that freedom under the First Amendment. And you know what, Dr. Tracy? They can give me a call. I would take that case. I, I think it'd be a good case to take. I would represent them. All right. What is your number one case? Yeah, your listeners are listening and they are they are going to be able to guess Dobbs v. Jackson. Um, that case. I would agree uh, it's number one. I would agree it's a huge case. That case offends me in so many ways that I, I, I mean, I could spend years talking about it. I'll try not to. Um, <laughs> 
you know, in the first case, a fundamental right that existed at nine o'clock in the morning before the issue uh, was was uh, before the case was issued um, or the decision was issued um, no longer existed at 1013 when I downloaded that decision. Uh, that's the first thing. And it was a fundamental right. It wasn't that we didn't have it before and and that, you know, it was that it, we did have it, but then it was taken away. Um, and, and it was then, okay, given as, in other words, there was no right that existed uh, federally, and it was left up to each individual state whether they were going to do that. My, my, my first reason for why I take such issue with this case and why I think it's so significant is, and it's, it's as I've, I've talked about in other, in other uh, networks, which is this. If you're, it, it codified, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, and here's why. They base their decision on things that happened in the 18th century. In the 18th century, women were nothing. They had no voice. They were nothing. They could be nothing other than housewives and mothers. And um, marital rape was allowed in the 18th century. There was no uh, right to control anything about yourself. Generally, women were married off starting at the very young age of 12, uh, and they birthed children until they died. And that was usually early, and then they took another wife. So um, my, my, my biggest concern here is that it's, it's this history and tradition concept pisses me off because what's gone on in our history and tradition has not been good. And so basing our decisions on that is just outrageous. Are you talking about um, uh, the judicial interpretive guide of um, originalism? So you're saying, what was the original purpose behind this law? You're saying, if you go to the original intent, the original purpose, they had bad purposes back in the, the uh, 18th century, the 19th century with the 14th Amendment. And so maybe we shouldn't give so much deference to what they were thinking because a lot of their other thoughts were really bad. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's originalism. I'd call it neo-originalism. I don't think originalism. I mean, originalism looks at it from the perspective of you know what what did they what did they intend with the words that they used at the time. Um, you know, I think when you start digging around in in you know British common law and you start digging around, I mean, we had separated from them. Um, when you start you know using uh, things that were written by a guy who burned witches, uh, hung witches, uh, you know, or quote witches, um, you know, I, I start to think that you're you're a cuckoo, um, and and you really have an agenda. And and I think he had an agenda. I think they had an agenda. I think that this sucker was written sitting in Alito's drawer. And he was just waiting for the opportunity and that him and Thomas in their spur moments were tinkering with this sucker for the rare, for the opportunity when they could use it. Um, because first 78 pages of this thing has nothing to do with the actual law. And I compare that to other cases that came out the following weeks, things that were written by Sotomayor, things that were written by Breyer, where it's like the typical Supreme Court opinion where you read it and literally your eyes cross because it's it's interpretation it's it's analyzing a law and and understanding you know and and, and statutory interpretation and what this case was about was about a, a law that was brought or that was that was it sought to be implemented in um you know in 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 a state and and i remember listening to the oral argument and listening to the chief justice saying wait a minute folks hold on we need to like rein this sucker in into what what, what we were asked to do here and, and the fact that we're dealing with this specific law in this specific case. Um, you know, when I, when I look at the, there's a lot of things about this. When I look at this and I see that, you know, basically uh, Justice Coney Barrett um, writes nothing and sits quietly and votes and does what she's expected to do. I mean, it's really Which was funny. was a huge vote from Amy was, Coney Barrett. That's a huge vote. It was a huge vote. It was a vote that we knew was coming, and it was a vote that that I think um, it represents exactly where this case put us I mean, back. She could have to. sided with the chief justice and went uh, and not overturned Roe v. Wade. Oh heck, no! She thinks that that it's just you know just give the kid up. She thinks just birth the child and give the child away and put it just take it to a fire station without any recognition of of, of the impact of that on someone. I mean, but she's privileged and she's white, and this has all worked out very well for her because she's a, you know, a Supreme Court justice at this point in her life. She's been able to have everything that she wanted, and she assumes that that works the same way for everybody else, and and it doesn't. And and so I think that um, that you know, there's just so many things about this case that piss me off. But but the biggest thing about this case is that that you know it fulfilled an agenda 
It did not, it, it, it basically screwed a little over 50% of, of the entire uh, country. Um, and it decided for me uh, what, what I could do with my body, it, it, depending on my geography. And that's certainly not an equal protection. Now, uh, with the last statement you just made about 50, over 51%, a lot of a significant portion, I don't know if the latest studies show about 40% uh, or, or over, of women are, are pro-life. So I'm not sure that that's- 71% that of the country is, is, is pro-choice pro in some manner. And in fact, most of the women are pro-choice based on the latest statistics. Uh, I would say most of the women uh, that I deal with, um, they're very much pro-life. In fact, if you go to my Facebook page, they're very vehemently pro-life. Um, but I, but I, get, I get what you're saying. And I'll tell you what ticks me off most about this case. And I am looking here at my screen. It says deep dive with Dr. Tracy. So I want to dig deep into this case. What ticks me off most about this case is this. I don't think either side, conservatives or liberals, are willing to give the other side any credence. And I'm just telling you, that's not reality. When you have issues like this, both sides have extremely valid points and I don't see either side. And I'm just gonna call out my side. I don't see my side giving credence to the other side's position. And, and that is this, the, the right um, uh, to privacy, bodily autonomy. Yeah, I think it's in the constitution. Where do I think it is? I think it's in the penumbra of the rights. Now, my conservative followers just turned me off. How dare you say there's a right in the penumbra? I'm telling you, it's there and we agree with it. I had a conversation the other day with someone, you know, uh, over lunch where I said, let me explain to you this way, uh, fellow conservative. Let's say the government passed a law saying, we are gonna come over to your house, call him Dr. Fauci, he's gonna come over to your house by law and stick a needle into your arm and shoot you up with mercury. Would you like that? No, would you think at some level that you had a constitutional right to say, uh-uh, I don't want you to stick a needle into my arm and pump mercury into it. Where is that right? Because I gotta tell you, it's not in the constitution. You're gonna have to just pick and uh, choose between various amendments to say, oh, but you see elements of privacy rights throughout the constitution. That's exactly what I'm saying. So Dr. Tracy, what do you think about my thought I get pissed off that neither side is giving credence to the other side's position. No, I, I guess I would say, I would tell you what my, my position is. You are free to believe what you want. If you don't want an abortion, don't get one. And, and you don't have to, and I'm not gonna force you to do it. But you, why do you get to decide for me what happens to my body and what I choose to do? with, with that, 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 that pregnancy. Why do you get to decide that? What bothers me the most is when I hear crazy things. Okay, like women, women are, you know, women are getting abortions up until, you know, uh, up until, you know, eight, eight and a half, nine, nine months. Oh, shut up, that isn't happening. That is, a, that is nonsense and I, did, I absolutely challenge anybody listening to show me a case where that happens. What is happening is that there is, for example, a, uh, the, 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 the fetus dies in utero and you have to get the fetus out because otherwise the woman is going to die of sepsis. No doctor okay, is terminating a pregnancy at eight and a half, nine months. That just simply right. isn't happening and people are crazy if they believe that. And I agree with, uh, I, I think you were, you were going there that um, uh, what you just described when the, the baby dies in utero, also that is legal and it, it, it is always will be legal to save the life of the mother. You see that running throughout our laws called self-defense. I, I just feel like this, is, I, I believe this with all my, my being, that this is an issue that we have intentionally be, de, been divisive on. I, I think, and I, I, I almost want to start my own political party because I think the middle, I bet you can find, you can cut a swath of about 60 to 70% of Americans in the middle that are in agreement on this issue. It really is not that controversial, but we can't talk about rational things to give credence to the other side's position. We have to run to the outer extremes of our party because that's how our primaries work. And that's just, I just see that as a problem. Neither side will give credence to what the other side is saying. But, but I, let me ask you, I wanna ask you that question because you're saying that and what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and I'm not, I'm not do you think that there are Democrats that are forcing uh, people who are pro-life to get abortions? 
No, I think there are Democrats that won't even discuss. I've litigated this issue. They won't even discuss the issue of, okay, when does life begin? That, when, when do constitutional rights attach? Yeah, that's an int They won't even have that discussion. They won't go down that road at all. They don't want to give credence to any idea this might be a life. They won't even entertain that thought. We have litigated on the issue of informed consent laws. Who could possibly be against informed consent laws? Well, here's why they would be. In they don't want to give credence to the other side's position of, yes, this is what actually is going on. Uh, and so, at least from my perspective, I can see value in the other side's argument, and I can agree a lot with what they are saying. And, and I, uh, I just don't think the other side will uh, give credence to the other side, which is, okay, that actually is a life. W when does human life begin? Is it at the moment of birth? Is it at conception? Is it somewhere in the middle? And then the second issue is, well, who gets to make that call? And, and I think it's fair to say, that's a tough issue. People are debate that. People on both sides debate that. It's, it's a tough call. I'm, I'm willing to admit it, but I don't see anyone having that debate of when does life begin and who gets to make that call. And I think the reason for that is because those two issues are so intertwined. And, and I will agree with you on that. I mean, um, you know, because then how do you define what is life? That becomes, well, right. what is life? Because, you know, people are saying, well, it's a heartbeat. Actually, no, there are doctors, there are actual doctors who are trained that are radiologists that are saying, actually, there's no human heart in there at this point. It actually isn't actually formed at that point. What you're hearing is, a, is electronic or electrical pulses. You're not actually hearing a heartbeat in those circumstances. Yeah, um, and so, um, you know, and, 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 I, I, and I can't remember who it was, but there was a, a representative in a state legislature that spoke just very powerfully about this and said, basically, you don't understand science. And, and I think that that, that is, is, you know, really important that, that has come out of, out of this case, which is that there seems to be a group and maybe it's fringe and, and it's not, not, you know, sort of the, the average, you know, thinking conservative. Okay. Um, but there, there is a group of people out there that refuse to, to understand or accept science. And that there are doctors, and those doctors are not elitists. Those doctors have training. We know it. You know, we are not back in the times of Michelangelo. Okay, we are. We we know more now than we did in the 18th century, um, and and you know we know more now than we did when in 1973. I think there's a, another factor to this case that 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 I think of. I think about it in context, and 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 in no way am I suggesting that you think this. Okay, but in 1973, there were some important things that started to happen for women. Women started to, to, to really gain momentum in the workforce. 1974, it became the time, and it happens to be the year I was born, by the way. In 1974, I, if I were 18 years old, I would have been able to get my own credit card without my dad or, or my, my husband's uh, uh, co-sign, which wasn't the case prior to 1974. Um, and then, in, so in 1973, this decision issues, and, and, and women were off and running. Now they have control of their bodies. They're able to make decisions. They're able to get their own credit in 1974. And ever since, okay, women have been gaining speed in, in the workforce. And it's because they can control what happens to them. We got rid of marital rape. We, you know, we had, we, there's, there's a series of decisions that happened over time. And, and, now we've been placed back into this situation. And I know what you said, that it'll, you know, it'll always be legal and self-defense and all that. Well, it's not true. There are states right now, as of today, that have banned it, period. And, and so you, 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 can't, you can't get one and you have to go somewhere else. And, and, and now they're talking about creating these laws and, or they're in the works of creating these laws about preventing you from traveling to get one or you'll be prosecuted. And I'm just like, oh, don't even get me started, man, do it. We'll burn the place down. I mean, just do it. I, you know, this is gonna be fun because when you piss women off, boy, think about when you piss your wife off, how bad that gets. You piss women off, I'm telling you, you folks don't even know. I did an interview recently okay, with someone who, who I thought was it leaning in one direction. I really did because of the nature of the circumstance of the interview. When we finished that interview, she had a completely different perspective on this that shocked me. And I was like, wait a minute, 
I thought you thought this. And she was like, oh, no, I can't say that out loud. But believe me, when I vote, they'll know. So there is a, a undercurrent here of women who are pissed. And it's because our ability to, to run our lives, our ability to seek equity in, in the workforce, our ability to continue to achieve and to try to get up onto the level of, of, of men uh, in, in, in society has now been, been challenged. And, and I well, think Grace, that, that figures into this. I don't want to speak for you, but I do want to throw this out there that if some woman is denied the right uh, to an abortion and when they need it for self-defense, if they're denied that, you and I, let's team up and represent them. Let's hit them from the right and hit them from the left. I am pretty certain we would win that case and it'd be a lot of fun to litigate. Uh, I say fun. I, I know non-lawyers would probably be aghast at that. This is a serious matter. I know, but lawyers are allowed to represent people and enjoy their job at the same time. Here is my, my final thought on this. And I really do, I agree with you 100%. Dobbs is probably the number one case for so many different reasons. You touched on some of them. We haven't even addressed the issue of it's overturning precedent. What does that mean for the legal system? Just overturning precedent is a big in and of itself. Ignore the, the actual case that it was about. When you overturn precedent, that's a huge deal. So it is the, the number one case. I just really do believe that the vast majority of Americans, we are in agreement. It's the middle part, not the outers of our parties. And if we would actually have open dialogue with one another like you and I are having, I think that's where we actually can come to an agreement and move forward with a society. But the talking heads, the political parties, they don't want that. They want to drive votes. And so they want to be divisive and not see the other side's uh, valid points. So I don't know. Uh, any final thoughts here? And, and thank you so much, by the way, for, for coming on. And I've really enjoyed this discussion. I really, I really did too. And what I hope is that this, these types of conversations between the two of us will spur other people to have similar conversations because we come from two different perspectives. And I agree that there is, there is an ability to agree in the middle on a lot of these things. I think where I stand on, on most issues is this, you can do whatever you want. Just it, it ends at the tip of my nose. And, and, you know, and, and, and my dad used to say that, it, you know, what you can do whatever you want and it's at the tip of my nose. And, and I understand that that contradicts a lot of the positions that I take on things like maybe wear a mask, get a vaccine. Um, but I, I think that, that, you know, those are different issues, but I, I, I enjoy having these conversations. I want people to have these conversations and I hope that they do. Thank you so much. And hey, we'll see you next time you're on the show. And when you're out there in court TV and what was the other show you're, you're on? I was on Court TV. Now I'm on Long Crime. So you can find me on Law Long Crime. Long Crimes. Long Crime uh, Network, Trial Network. Um, you can find it on your local cable network. You can find it. Uh, it's also a streaming network. Um, and so longcrime.com. And uh, you can follow them on Twitter as well. All right. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri. Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.